0: romans 12 and reading just one verse verse 10 love one another with brotherly affection outdo one another in showing honor let's pray now lord we pray that you will uh, attend to your word and that you will bring it forth lord so that it changes our lives for the good we thank you for your word um it is uh, for our good and may we realize that even when it may cross our own wills so we pray that our hearts would be in submission now to your word Uh, give us help lord by your holy spirit in jesus name amen amen okay so we're in the process right now of looking at principles of christian conduct and before we continue with this 12th verse i want to mentioned something here it's a serious reminder and i don't have any doubt that this is a well-taught congregation in the in the doctrines of grace you understand what salvation is we sang it this morning my hope is built on nothing less than jesus blood and righteousness and so you understand that but again you have an advantage over me that i don't know who the visitors are here because this is only like my sixth time here but if you're visiting here you're not clear on the gospel I don't want you to think that these principles here that we're talking about, which are mandatory for Christians to do, I don't want you to think that we are doing these things or or, or attempting to live this way in order to be saved. We're doing these things because we have been saved. And there's a a difference of heaven and hell between those two understandings. Um, As believers in Christ, we believe that, our salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And we dare not add anything to that. Um, not the least thing. In fact, Paul the Apostle tells us in Galatians that if you add anything to the gospel, you've annulled the gospel, and anyone who does that should be accursed and will be accursed if they go out of this world believing such a thing. So you can't add anything to that. That's not the purpose of looking at these at these ethics. Uh, in fact, some people believe that they're good enough to be saved just because of who they are and how they live their lives. And there's no doubt there are many people out there that are nice people, do good things. And unfortunately, sometimes unsaved people sometimes live better lives than people who profess Christ. But if you're one of those people this morning who's saying, I'm going to do, I I, I can do it. I can do it on my own. I don't need to depend on this Jesus alone. um, I'll say this. You can be saved by works. If you do it imperfectly. but that's the only way you can be saved. So in Galatians three, uh, Paul says this, all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. In other words, all who rely on the law in order to be saved. In other words, put it in other, other language. Everybody who's trying to live morally in order to be saved. If you're trying to do that, Paul says you're under a curse. Why? He says, as it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Salvation by works requires 100% compliance to the law. If such a thing were possible that you could live 99% of your life, right up to the end of your life, and you'd never sinned, and on the last day you sinned, too bad. You've broken the whole law. You cannot be saved by keeping the law. There's no grading. There's no that God doesn't say, well, you have been a lot better than this group over here. So you're in doesn't work that way. It's by grace alone. So I don't want anybody to to have a misunderstanding that when we come to these principles, that we're looking at these principles that if, if we do good, we'll be saved. No, we've all sinned. We've all come short of God's glory, his approval. And so we're dependent totally on his grace in Christ to be saved. So having said that, let's now pick up on these principles of Christian conduct, which the Lord has given to us so that we might live as his people as we were intended to live. Okay. so the next one is this in 1210 a practice, family like affection toward one another. Literally, the text says in brotherly love unto one another, loving as family Loving as family. One writer has put it like this. Let the spirit which prevails in the church be one of family feeling and affection. So what you've got here in this word is a combination of love of family and tenderly loving. Brotherly love with love of family. Uh, The local church is supposed to be a place. That's a place where you can come and love and be loved. It's not a place where it's full of tension and factions and that sort of thing. A local church, if it's properly functioning, the people in that church should have a, a deep, instinctive love for fellow Christians. It should be something that's growing in us. Just like how I'm assuming if you're normal, you love your brothers or your sisters, your biological ones. There's a real loyalty there or your parents. You love them instinctively. Uh, The Bible calls that natural affection. I'm assuming that that's where we're supposed to be going with love for one another. We who have been born again. Now, what effect does lack of brotherly or family love, family like love? What does that what does that say about the gospel? If we're lacking that, if we if we're a church that has a reputation in town, that's the place that you want to go see a good fight, go there. What does that do? Well, you just read it a few minutes ago. Jesus said, looking at it the opposite way, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In other words, it's a very powerful defense of the gospel when a church is known for being a loving church. People that care about one another. It's one of the greatest apologetics for the gospel. Jesus said so. It's Christianity applied. You know, that's why some of the cults have been so successful. Because they give people a sense of welcoming and belonging. And if they're doing that, how much more should we, the, the true people of God? Again, 1 John 4, And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Christians have a love for other Christians. Um, It's a relationship that's been forged by God. So we look at one another, and as we see each other, and we say, okay, that, that person's a professing Christian. That person is an heir of God. That person's a joint heir of Christ. Christ shed his blood for that person. And I'm to love that person now and consider him as part of my family and I part of his family. Everyone needs to commit themselves to this tender kind of affection that he's talking about here. Obviously, it starts in the home. Um, We all have our squabbles in our homes. And sometimes we come to church, even though we've repented, we we feel kind of cruddy about it because we know we haven't lived up to it that week. But nevertheless, it should start in the home. That's the direction we should be aiming for. Uh, the Apostle Peter says, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender hearted. Charles Hodge wrote, The idea is that Christians should love each other with the same sincerity and tenderness as if they were the nearest relatives. We're to love those that we don't like. Not the same thing. You can't change whether you like someone or not directly. You can't change your feelings for another person. But what you don't want to do, you probably maybe someone's going through your mind right now in this church that you don't really like that much. They're kind of prickly or they've got a personality that rubs you the wrong way. Well, what have you been doing about that? I admit you can't be bosom buddies with everybody in the church. A church this size, you can't be friends with everybody. You're real close friends. You can't. It's impossible. Um, I never could understand how someone could be on Facebook and have 3,000 friends. You know, most of us can't maintain that many, truly. But if there's someone in the church that you have a lot of contact with and you really don't like them, they they bug you, they rub you the wrong way, then you need to work on that. Um, And God will help you. He'll help you to do that. Ozzie Guillen, he's the former manager of the Chicago White Sox. And one time he was being interviewed, and he was talking about his starting catcher, A.J. Pruszynski. And some of you follow baseball, you know Brzezinski was not a very likable person. Um, I like him all right. Maybe he's like me. I don't know, but I seem to like him all right. He's a commentator now for Fox Sports on, in Baseball. But Gian made this statement about him. He said, if you're on the other team, you hate him. If he's on your team, you hate him less. So what what I'm getting at is this. You must not be content to hate someone here in the church less than you would otherwise. uh, Or disliking someone strongly. In fact, if this person seems to be always causing problems, remember this. As much as depends on you, be at peace with all men. You can't change the other person, but you can be at peace with them as much as depends on you. You know, even the world knows about this, this, this idea. Um, you know, back in the hippie days, in the, in the 60s especially, there was a lots of songs about love and all this stuff. And, you know, and some of the things they said were true, you know, despite the fact that they didn't always follow it. But there was a song that was released in 1967. It came out in 1968, made the top ten. Some of you are going to remember this. It was, the title of the song was Reach out of the darkness, but they never say that line in the song. They only in the song. They only say reach out in the darkness. But in that song, the first uh, some of you remember that you can nod your head. if you Remember that starts out. I think it's so groovy now that people are finally getting together. You Remember that some of you young kids don't don't know what I'm talking about. But anyway, the first line goes like this. Now, this isn't the greatest poetry in the world. I admit it's kind of doggerel. But anyway, this this guy starts off singing like this. I knew a man that I did not care for. And then one day, this man gave me a call. We sat and talked about things that are on our minds. And now this man, he is a friend of mine. And, you know, there's truth in that. This person that wrote this was created in the image of God, and and he understood that concept. And God will do that for you. If you'll reach out to someone here that you don't really care for or someone that seems to be a loner, you will find you uh, start developing a real feeling of affection for that person. Instead of just leaving that person off by themselves or just continuing in, I really don't like that person. Reach out. Reach out to others. Um, You know, one thing that used to bother me, in our church in Poland, uh, people would come and... They'd come maybe a week or two, and then they wouldn't come back. And if you followed up with them, they'd say, well, you're not a very friendly church like that. That used to really bother me. And I would t- tell people that someone had just said that recently. And, you know, we had to do a better job at that. But what I noticed was happening sometimes in our church, visitor would come in, obviously would be a visitor and I noticed that people would be going down the aisle toward them and see them come in and go the other way because they didn't want their lives messed up. They didn't want to take a chance, so they just would go the other way. We were in a church one time visiting, and we had visited this church a number of times when we were on vacation, and one week when we were leaving, we said, well, why don't we sign the guest book? We've never done that. So we started to go sign the guest book, and just as we were converging on it, another an older couple – I'm an old man now, but an older couple, um, they're probably younger than I am now, was, was walking to the book. And so they kind of let us go before them. So we signed it. And th- then, you know, we, they introduced themselves. and thought, Oh, good. Well, someone's introducing themselves. And then we found out they were from Ohio visiting, you know. So don't be don't be that kind of church. Go out of your way. There was a man in our church down in Poland. And he once told me, you know, I'm very really, I'm, I'm, I'm uncomfortable doing that. I don't like going up to strangers but you know what a difference it makes if you go up to someone and you just say hi my name is so and so and i'm really glad you're here today that's all you got to do you don't have to give a big speech or anything like that and it's a very helpful thing and that man i just mentioned he he's he's the the top bird dog down there now he he searches people out and visits them and he loves doing it. now he didn't like it at first but it's something that he developed and, and you can do that too um So this kind of love that Paul's talking about here implies that we're to have a persevering loyalty to one another. We don't just walk away from each other when something families have spats, but they again, most of the time they don't stop talking to each other. Families are famously loyal to each other. That's why the NIV and NASB translated this term devoted, devoted to one another. Like the love of Christ, how he's devoted to us. A good example of that is in the Old Testament where David, Jonathan, says Jonathan's heart was knit to David. Um, It means bound, chained to David. Uh, Now, what does this kind of love condemn? Or what does it put out of bounds? Well, one thing it puts out of bounds is cliques in the church. Now, you may not realize this, but if you've got a group of close friends in the church, which is a good thing, You may begin to feel like anybody who tries to enter that little group is invading. And you become a clique, even though you didn't mean to be. You don't want to be. It's just like, have you ever had this experience? You've got a, a small group that meets for a Bible study or for a little prayer group, and you get ready to have it on some evening, and a stranger comes into it. It's like, well, what are they doing here? You know, they're messing up our little happy little so you can become a clique and not even not even mean to. This kind of love so so beware of that here. Beware of every week after church being over that you go to the same little group every week. Take a chance. Don't do that. Uh, schism in the church. It rules out schism. You know, the kind of person that goes around church and every pastor has had this happen what you think about his message what do you think about him i don't think that i don't think that friendly i don't think this i don't think that people trying to cause disaffection don't be that kind of person They may think maybe things you don't like about the leadership but don't be the person going around causing those people to Say, hey! I never thought of that way. That guy really is a jerk. You know, don't don't do that because that's what will happen. It rules out snubbing, deliberately snubbing someone. Um, indifference. Someone mentioned so and so in the church has a certain problem. He said, oh I don't care. You know, I don't care. Um, don't quit your family. Don't disown your family. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13, let brotherly love remain let it continue flare-ups are going to occur in any church there's going to be conflicts and sometimes you are going to be in the right and you know you're in the right and the other person's in the wrong and that has to be dealt with but it does happen conflicts do happen we're still sinners we still have the flesh but love overcomes that this kind of tender affection i mean Growing up, I had six siblings. I never considered, we we're always squabbling as kids, grew up in an unsaved home, but I never thought about, that person's not going to be my brother anymore. I never thought that way at all, my, or my sister. Maybe they thought that way about me, but I never thought that way about them. William Hendrickson says, The members of this spiritual family should do all in their power to be and remain devoted to each other in tender affection. I wonder this morning if you could make that pledge to God. Say, Lord, I really want to do this. I, I want to have a brotherly, tender affection towards every believer in this church, whether we're super close or we're not so close. I want to have that. I want to follow this. Our aim ought to be to personify that person in Proverbs, the friend who sticks closer than a brother, who's exemplified in Christ. Another Proverbs says this A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for times of adversity. Or Genesis thirteen eight. Abraham said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. He says it just doesn't it doesn't fit for it to be such a thing. It's to be practised toward all the brethren. Remember, there was a point, we're told in Genesis 37, where Joseph's brothers hated him so much they couldn't even speak peaceably to him. Be careful that that doesn't happen in your heart. Um, have you let yourself move in that direction towards someone in the church? Well, you don't, you, you don't even want to talk to them and you don't want to speak peaceably to them because they've wronged you, perhaps. Or at least you perceive they have. Uh, <clears throat> when you think of that person, if, if such a person exists... Um, are you learning to have peaceable thoughts toward them, kind thoughts, um, benevolent thoughts? <clears throat> Everybody has people who will do this to them. Uh, what I've done is this, by the grace of God. <clears throat> when a when person would pop into my mind that had done me wrong, I would say, oh, God, help me. Help me not to think bad thoughts about them. And I ask you, God, to bless their life. Bless their life. You keep doing that will change your whole attitude. It truly will. But you have to do it. And people can really do some really hard, wrong things to you. Are you willing to do that? Are you doing that? Are you moving that way? Uh, <clears throat> maybe we can say something like this before God. God, I will strive by your grace to practice family-like, tender, loyal affection to everyone in this church. And obviously, I'm not limiting to this church. Despite their foibles, despite their unpleasant habits, cracking their knuckles or eating too loud or chomping on gum, cracking it. I love all those things, by the way, so I'm not. Quirks, oddities. I mean, there are, there are people in churches that are prickly. They always seem to have a way to insult you. You know? But you have to learn to get beyond that and, and to love them. <clears throat> Jesus said this. These things I command you, John 15, 17, that you love one another. He did not say these things I suggest to you will make your life happier it'll make the church better. He said these things I command you. The Apostle John. It says in 1 John three twenty three, and this is his commandment. There it is again, that commandment word, that we believe in the name of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. And biblical love is a doing thing. It's a tangible thing. It's, it's, a, it's something that can be seen. It's um, active. Feelings will kick in. Uh, a man came to a church one time uh, when I was uh, a young man in Hudson. I wasn't a pastor then, but he came to our church one time to speak at a men's breakfast. And he told us, he said, you know, I went to a, this two week. I don't know what it was. If it was a Bible camp or what it was. And he said, I met a man there. He says immediately. He says, I didn't like him. He just rubbed me the wrong way. He says, and I felt so guilty about that. He said, and then I got on my knees, went back to my room, and I got on my knees, and I prayed, God, oh, God, give me a love for this man. He did. God gave him a love for him. He said he became very friendly with him, and just in, just in that short period of time, that's the kind of thing we need to do. Okay? Now, another principle that's closely related to that one is the second part of verse 10. And I'd put it like this. Take the lead. Take the initiative in giving due honor to other people. So... The text. Twelve ten B outdo one another in showing honor. Now this is an area that it's very easy to become imbalanced. What I mean is this. We know that to God be all the glory, right? God to be so what we can do, we can we can become imbalanced and we can say, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give anybody praise, I'm not gonna give anybody else honor because that's Taken away from God. Well, then what do you do with the next chapter where Paul says, give honor to whom honor is due? See, there's a proper kind of giving honor. Always in the back of your mind, all this person has done is due to the grace of God. So we can go, we can go that direction. We can, we can be the type of, of church that never says, I want to thank you for your ministry, that type of thing, what you did. Or we can go the other direction. And we can turn our church into a, a, an awards chapel that all we ever do is everybody gets a blue ribbon. Everybody gets five stars and become not sober minded, but become uh, like the world. I put it this way. Seek to honor, but don't seek to be honored. That's that's the difference. So listen to some of the translations. NIV, honor one another above yourselves. The new English translation uh, said, yeah, I think that's what it's called. The net Bible, Dallas seminary people put out showing eagerness in honoring one another, showing an eagerness to do that. Are you eager to honor other people? Or do you think if I do that, I'm going to get shadowed? People won't see how good I am, how great I am. So. Here's a principle that's given to us. It's meant to overcome our deeply rooted selfishness and self-centeredness. Our tendency to be thoughtless concerning the contributions of others. Uh, It's it's to help us to to seek humility. Um, But we commonly seek personal prestige and glory and ease. So take the lead, he says, in honoring others. Be out front and go into the end of the line. John Murray says the thought can well be that instead of looking and waiting for praise from others, we should be foremost in according them honor. And again, that's not a contradiction of what we were talking about earlier about being sober minded. It's giving honor to whom honor is due. We can look for things in people to encourage them that way. We don't ignore the gifts that we've got. We don't pretend we don't have any gifts. We don't pretend we're always inferior to another person. That's not that's not sober mindedness, but we recognize what's good. You know, the apostle Paul could say this about himself. He could call himself the chief of sinners. Um, He could say, I am less than the least of all the saints. But he took his apostolic ministry seriously and he knew what God had given him. He didn't he didn't pretend that he was nothing. Because God had made him something. Um, Lenski put it like this. Can I quote a Lutheran here? Lenski said, but did Paul consider every weak and erring brother better and superior to himself? No, but he ever bestows all possible and all deserving honor on men. For instance, on his assistants, he leads other brethren in doing this and is never greedy of honor for himself. Okay, let's, let's ask a few questions here to see if we're, if we're, if we're beginning to comply with this in our lives. Uh, are you willing to sit and listen to the viewpoint of somebody else, to their opinion, even when you know that they're wrong? Are you at least willing to let them talk? Um, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and therefore slow to anger. You give them due respect. Um, are you focused on your own rights and your own due honor? Your own recognition? Jesus, the Son of God, God the Son, came down and he washed the filthy feet of his disciples. They, Someone else should have done it. But no one did it. It was common courtesy when you came into a. Remember, they were in, in the city during a holiday season and people had their animals there the streets were just strewn with dung people were walking through that the disciples were walking through this the son of god cleaned, he cleansed their filthy feet and he said if you know these things now i've set an example you are blessed if you do them you wait for others to do the, to do the honor or you do the do the lowly thing W.G.T. Shedd said, brotherly affection is manifested in particular in the desire that a fellow Christian be honored rather than yourself. So we've had that happen. You've got, I can't remember what you call it, but I call it VBS. Got that coming up and there'll be many of you participating and working very hard. Some of you behind the scenes, people won't know it. When someone is standing up and saying, oh, so-and-so did such wonderful things and you're left out. How do you how do you react to that? Are you willing to be passed over? Now, I'm not saying that that should happen, but if it happens, are you going to have a fit about it? Um, Are you a trophy hound, a glory hound? Our basketball coach used to call us that. He was right. We didn't want to admit it. Oh, no, I'm a team guy. (laughs) We were all selfish and wanted to be the highest scorer, all that type of thing, get our names in the paper. And who remembers it? Who remembers it? No one remembers it. Are you that type of person? You want to be known. You want to be famous. You want everybody to know who you are. Can I tell you one more baseball story? I'm going to anyway. September 2nd, 1972, there was a game between uh, the Chicago Cubs and the San Diego Padres. And pitching for the Cubs was a guy named Milt Pappas. And he was pitching a perfect game. He'd gone through the first eight innings. That means that all 24 batters that he had faced, he'd gotten them out. Ninth inning came. He got the first two batters out. So they brought up a pinch hitter, a guy named Larry Stahl. He got up to the plate. Pappas quickly threw two strikes. He needed one more strike to get a perfect game, just one more. And it had only been up to that point, it had only been 11 perfect games in the history of Major League Baseball. Now, the umpire was a guy named Bruce Fremming. He, he umpired many years, and he played it right down the line. Now, a lot of umpires, what they would have done They would have given Pappas a strike on a close pitch. Fremming wouldn't do it. So the next four pitches came in, and they were just outside. He lost his perfect game. He did get the no-hitter. He got the next batter out, but he got his no-hitter. So Fremming says in an interview, the umpire, he says, I knew the next day when I came to the ballpark, the media was going to descend on me and let me have it. And they did. Why didn't you give him some of those pitches pitches were close? Why couldn't you do it? And, you know... He just said, well, they weren't strikes. I wasn't going to call them. So later, one of the Chicago Cubs broadcasters said this to him. He said, Bruce, didn't you realize that if, you, if, you, if he had pitched a perfect game, you'd be famous? You'd be the, only the 12th umpire to, to, to call a perfect game. You'd be famous. And Preming said, uh, who is the umpire in the 11th perfect game? And he said, I don't know. And he said, I would have been just as famous as him. Don't be a glory hound. Don't seek honor because people are going to forget it. You know, two of my grandparents are buried in Bangor. I doubt my kids even know who they are because they died long before they were born. Do you know, have you ever heard of John Allen? Well, he was born right in this town, Southwest Harbor. He was my grandfather. And Nobody knows who he is, who he was, for many good reasons. But do you think, how often do you think of the most famous, how often do you think of George Washington and his accomplishments? Not until right now, probably not for a long time. Do you, what I'm trying to point out is, do you see what vain glory is? To seek glory for yourself, not to be willing to put someone, to give someone the honor above yourself. It is so vain to do that. Fifty years from now, no one's going to know any of us, a hundred years especially. No one's going to know any of us. So the point is, do what God tells you to do now, because God's not going to forget it. He'll reward you accordingly. Well, it's the true antidote to all kinds of fights and schisms in the church following these two closely related principles here. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Um, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Let this mind, let this mindset be in you. Amen.